Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So blessed to be with you uh, once again as we dive into the Word of God. Now, if you are watching for the very first time, thank you guys for checking out my YouTube channel. If you're listening audibly, uh, thank you guys again for listening. And again, if you want to swap, if you're used to listening but not watching or you've been watching but not listening, those platforms are available for you. Now, before we dive into podcast 131, as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, and today the title is God's Mighty Protection Over Paul. And I pray as we look at that, that you yourself will be reminded that God is looking out after you. And I think sometimes we take that for granted, but I don't wanna go ahead of myself. I wanna just draw your attention if you're watching you see here on the screen that my um, next book, Challenging Conversations, A Practical Guide to Discuss Controversial Topics in the Church with Baker Books, comes out October 27th, 2020. So you can pre-order that right now where books are sold. So if you like to go to Barnes & Noble, christianbook.com, of course, people like to go to Amazon, you wanna get on Kindle, that is available. You can go to two other websites as well. You can go to challengingconversations.org. You can click, uh, you know, the trailer, watch the trailer of the book as I kind of give you guys an overview about that. You can also go to our main site, standstrongministries.org. And right there on the homepage is a banner. Click on that and it will give you all the details about how to order the book. And right now it's on sale as we're doing a pre-order, like kind of a launch right now but it officially comes out October 27th. So we are blessed and so thrilled to have um, that resource coming out. We're gonna be having videos and we're gonna be challenging a lot of people just like you. So if you are a regular listener and supporter of this podcast and you want to get this book into your hands and also maybe be a part of an outreach thing that we're gonna be doing around the country, shoot me an email, info at standstrongministries.org. And if you want to get your church involved, my ministry will send you guys a free book and we'll connect with you and see how we can get a small group or an event at your church. And if we can get a free book into the hands of your pastor uh, or you know whether it be the senior pastor or like a family pastor or a discipleship pastor, somebody, a family pastor who's in charge of, you know, really providing uh, discipleship tools and, you know, outreach to families, let us know. So you can go to standstrongministries.org. You can click there to reach out to me and we will get in touch with you as soon as possible. So with that being said, I'm just excited to be with you guys as we continue to look at the life of Paul. And hopefully as you've been going with the, going with me through the book of Acts, that it's encouraged you to be more bold in your faith, to, to you know, readily accept the challenges that God puts in, in front of you. Because we know for sure Paul was that man. And as I was just studying my devotions actually this morning, I'm in Acts chapter 20 right now, and I'm finishing it up, jumping into Acts chapter 21. And I was telling this to my wife earlier, it, it was just amazing to, to just be in, in, you know, in the presence of, 
uh, the Lord this morning and praying over certain markers that Paul had put forth for the church. And one of the first things he says in that speech to the elders at Miletus, which by the way, I'm just giving you a little insight, a little um, a message before we do that podcast in the next few weeks. This was the only message that we have recorded in the book of Acts. Not that Jesus, not that Paul didn't preach obviously to Christian audiences, but this is the only time that we see a sermon of him giving a charge to Christian believers, particularly elders, people that have been raised up to be overseers of the local churches. And it's a powerful one. And so as I was seeing um, the markers in the one that he says, pay close attention to yourself. So if you want to be a good shepherd, if you want to watch the people that God has placed in your care, you have to make sure that you're living a life that is bearing fruit and you're not living a life of hypocrisy. And just seeing the conduct of Paul and seeing how he worked and enslaved over things so that he was not a hindrance to people. And I'd have to be honest with you guys here in the podcast as you know, that as we go in God's word and God's word convicts us and we have, we start having conversations like this. And I want to be, you know, up front with, uh, you know, my followers here and supporters and friends that one of the things that has really shaken me up through the years doing ministry for since what, 90, 1998 is that it's sad to see how many people who get it involved in ministry and their intent was to, you know, serve the Lord, use their gifts, whatever they may be. But after a while, maybe with some success or a taste of authority, they get very prideful and their platform maybe grows and their power grows with it in the flesh that is, and they take advantage of people. And that has always upset me. It's always bothered me. And so it's just so refreshing to just take a close look at how Paul traveled, how he loved his companions his colleagues, how he championed them, how he instructed them, how he exhorted them, how he called out false teachers, how he worked hard, how he lived among people with integrity and saying, test me, examine me, see if I've done anything that is contrary to the message that I preached to you. Remember, he says, I preached no other message in Galatians chapter one, six through 10. And he says, imitate me for I imitate Christ. And isn't it sad that at some point in life, we, we, um, we follow certain people and they let us down. They become a disappointment. They lived a life of hypocrisy. I'm sure you've had that. I've had that. And so I, I just want us to be real about that because in the midst of what, what, where Paul is at right now in Acts 18, he is on his second missionary journey. And this is roughly about 80, 51 to 52 and he was just coming from Athens and he's now settling in Corinth. And this is going to be an explosive time of ministry with Paul. And, he, and because he's about to expand through the power of the spirit into Ephesus. And this is where he's going to start writing first and second Thessalonians, first and second Corinthians, the book of Romans. And then of course, later he'll be in prison after Jerusalem and he'll write a lot of the uh, prison epistles but at this point, we know that Paul had already written Galatians in you know, about AD 49. And before the end of this journey, as I mentioned, he'll start writing First and Second Thessalonians. So I encourage you as we're going through um, the book of Acts that 
when we get to this period of time, wherever we're at, if if you see a point in time where, oh, you know, this is when he is writing First and Second Thess- Thessalonians, like right now as we go through chapter 18, that you can actually go there and read those passages while Paul was staying in Corinth. And that would be a great encouraging time for you to continue to develop your understanding, appreciation, and knowledge of Scripture. So let's dive right in as we look at Acts chapter 18. The first part here in verses 1 through 4 is Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. And so we're told here after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So the amazing thing is, as we see his ministry expanding, he's in a huge city now, Corinth. Now, if you remember the political um, platform, if you will, that was coming from Corinth was very significant. The political capital capital to Corinth is Achaia. This was the largest city in Greece. So you had some deep intellects. So they knew politics, if you will. That's where we get the word here at this point, point in time, you know, or at least prior to, but definitely expanding during the Roman era. And it had a rich culture and a very extensive commerce that reached into the East and West trade. So this is a very influential area. This was the hub. Now remember Julius Caesar, he turned this into a Roman colony in about 44 BC. So we're talking at this period of time, almost a hundred years later, this has been under Roman rule. So the metropolitan area was, it was filled with prostitution and idolatry and housed the temple of Apollo and Aphrodite, which is the goddess of love. Now, I will warn you, if you do any research and you look into it, you'll see just the depravity. So, you know, it's interesting where a lot of times people say, oh, you know, um, you know, this point in time in history, it's the worst it's ever been. I'm thinking, have you studied different cultures prior to even the Western world exploding in modern day? Have you looked at anything prior to the 12th century, even going back as far as this to see the type of massive cities that placated this stuff, sensuality, prostitution? I mean, a common phrase, matter of fact, in those days was, quote, to act as a Corinthian. Uh, it was like a synonym uh, uh, expression to point to the sexual uh, sin that they were involved in. So can you imagine living in a city? And in some cases, some of you may be listening, depending on where, you're, where you live, uh, you, you have seen some of this stuff, unfortunately. It's real to you, but could you imagine being in a city when someone says, come be a charlatan? Now, obviously that has some connotation in history, but let's say in reference today, uh, just that you can, whatever desires you have sexually could be fulfilled not just privately where you go online or in a privacy of someone's home, but 
but publicly there's a place where where people know and 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 they go there and they contribute to it and it's a part of society so i i put that in perspective because we can glaze over this and we could just move on when it says after this paul left athens and we know what happened there with the sophisticated philosophers that he preached to about the unknown god so when he leaves that climate he goes into a massive um, metropolitan area that prides themselves of living a certain way sexually. And we are told now when he goes there though, and this is what I always love because despite the worshiping of Apollo, despite the worshiping of Aphrodite, the goddess of love and having, you know, sex with prostitutes, um, he finds two dedicated people, uh, Aquila, who was a native to Pontus and his wife, who was Italian, Priscilla. And Aquila and Priscilla, they become close ministry partners with Paul. We see that in Romans 16, verse 3, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. That's important because even in his last letter, he mentions these two, he mentions this couple. And I, and I look at my ministry and I want you to consider what, how God has used you and think, what faithful partners has God brought you in your life? And the amazing thing is, I've had, I still do, years later, have committed people who pray for me, who support us, who befriend me, who are there to comfort me and to console me. And it, and it, and it touches my heart. It's a huge, tremendous blessing. And we shouldn't be ashamed to mention that. It's good to be vulnerable and admit that we can't do these things alone. We're looking at Paul and as he's about to explode in ministry in huge markets, I believe at this time, God's like, I'm going to give you an awesome couple. Now, there are some who maybe, um, if you can relate um, to, to my story to some extent where you started something and you had people who jumped on board, they're with you for a few years and then they move on or you move on. Now, obviously, there are some hardships that you go through with certain couples. They said they're going to be there, and then they let you down, and you have to deal with it. Now, what we don't do, and we, we don't, certainly don't see this with Paul, unless it's a false teacher, somebody who's trying to undermine the work that God had called him to do, he will call them out. But it's always about fighting for unity. But this is so significant, we don't, we don't want to overshadow this. Because Luke is very detailed, not just in how he traveled and where he traveled and giving us particular information to corroborate it. Even now, as we can look back, and there's a great book Colin Hemmer wrote that looks at the archaeological standpoint of, of Luke as a historian. But also to, to identify the, the struggles, the concerns, the afflictions, the persecutions, the challenges that Paul faced and uniquely bringing into light how God ministered to Paul through people. Now, remember the Roman historian Suetonius, he explains why the Jews were kicked out of Rome because Luke ma makes mention to this. This is what he writes. This is an historical document. Quote, as the Jews were indulging a constant riots at the instigation of Christos, that's C-H-R, E-S-T-U-S, -S, he, that is Claudius, banished them from Rome. Now, you might may wonder, well, is that 
Christ, but why is it spelled that way? More likely, it's a misspelling of, of the name Christ. And it seems that the Jews, they were causing havoc over the expansion of the Christian church and it was causing such a problem. Remember, this is in the late, um, th- or excuse me, this is in the early 50s. So this is roughly 15 plus years later after the resurrection of Jesus. And there's such a stir among Jews because of the amount of Jews who are coming to saving faith. Now, it says that they had a particular trade. And it says that Paul was of the same trade with them. Now, Jewish rabbis, remember, they didn't charge people for their teaching. So they relied on a trade, whatever trade it might be, to make an income or to have an income, to make money. Now, Paul, we're told, he had the same trade they did. So they had something uniquely in common. And that was being a tent maker. But, but more, more specifically, it means that, that Paul was a leather worker. Remember, he came from Cilicia. So he was, he was a man who was known to this, or the people there were known to this trade. And so it, it's very common for him, in addition to what he was doing as a studied Jew, to learn this practice. Because the area that he came from had a certain cloth that came from goats, the goat's hair, and it was used for tents. Now, throughout his letter, uh, Paul would mention this from time to time, and he would talk about how hard he worked. So not only did he work hard in the ministry, and many times he's, he's making reference to the burden that he carried doing the work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, Paul writes, we never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us. But we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat, end quote. So you see the amount of work and diligence that Paul had, and that's very admirable. And notice he would then go and he'd reason in the synagogue. Again, if you've been following along in the book of Acts, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, that's what Paul did. If you want to summarize Paul's ministry, he reasoned with people, okay? He preached the gospel. So once again here, Paul was using apologetics to prove to the Jews and also to God-fearing Gentiles that Christ is the Messiah. So now let's look at verses five through 11. And in this section, here we see that God protects Paul's ministry in Corinth. It says here, when, Paul, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying, that means to make a serious declaration on the basis of presumed personal knowledge to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believe, hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Literally means stop being afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent. 
for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Well, so there's a lot there. And by the way, that is one of my favorite verses actually in ministry. When I when I do get worried, when I am anxious, when I am struggling or feel the burden of going somewhere that God has called me to go to deliver a message that he has called me to deliver. And I always look at this verse, especially as things have gotten worse in America with some of the environments of hostility. But I'm reminded as Paul was told by God, stop being afraid for I have many people in the city. They're going to take care of you. I brought you Aquila and Priscilla, Crispus, the rule of the synagogue. He starts believing in the Lord. God's in control of this stuff. So let's kind of look at some of these verses uh, briefly. Notice that Silas and Timothy, they arrive from Macedonia. So reportedly, as you look at scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, and you cross-reference in that to Philippians chapter 4, 14 through 15, what we are able to piece together is that Silas and Timothy reportedly, they were bringing a financial gift from the church's in Macedonia. And again, they're expanding the ministry. And so financially, God is providing for them. And so that's what we're seeing uh, take place here as they come bearing gifts, if you will. Now, Paul went to the Jews first, as we're told, when he shook off his garments, as your blood be on your own heads, because it was his people. And he was committed to that. He was committed to them as he, he himself is a Jew, because God made a covenant with him with his people. And it was the Jews who received Jesus Christ as their savior. And they were the first to receive the Holy Spirit. You go back to Romans chapter one, verse 16, Romans chapter three, verse one, Romans chapter nine, verses four through five. So he would always go to the Jews first. And so he would never lose sight of that. But now there were some audiences where he had to shake off the garments, his shake off his garments and just say, forget you, you know, essentially, you know, because the blood, your blood is on your hands meaning you've rejected Christ. So you guys are as guilty as the Jews who had Christ crucified. If you go back to Matthew chapter 27, verse 25, then they were told in verse seven, and he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice. Now, this was probably the first house church in Corinth was by a guy like Titius Justice who comes to saving faith, who's also, who his name is also Gaius. In Romans chapter 16, verse 23, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. So he's, he's referenced two other times in Paul's letters. Now, Crispus, the rule of the synagogue, he believes. Now, no doubt, when you start seeing your ministry have impact with religious leaders and people are coming to saving faith, this will shake things up. Remember, when Saul himself comes to saving faith, it shook things up. And so now we're seeing... Um, a high-powered official, a high-powered ruler converting to Christianity. And you know this sent shockwaves around the city. Now, remember the kind of city that we're talking about. So when you start having guys who are promoting laws and a certain lifestyle, the Corinthian way, and he gets saved. Now, of course, it says he was the ruler of the synagogue. But sadly, when you do look in some cases in history, some of these religious leaders, they were involved and a lot of the debauchery uh, living. 
not to say that it was Crispus, but you know, you, you turn a blind eye. But he certainly was lost nonetheless. And and the cool thing is, guess what? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, Paul will mention that he baptized Crispus. And remember, Paul didn't baptize many people himself. His disciples did, his colleagues did. But Crispus, this guy here, he was personally baptized by Paul. Now, when Paul had this vision, he describes how he came to Corinth in weakness and with much fear and trembling. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. And it's a great insight that Luke records here because it shows that, yes, even Paul got scared. Even Paul blew it. Even Paul himself had doubts. But he was dependent. He needed to be reminded that God's in control and be dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit for strength and for guidance. And you look back at great men of God like Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and Jeremiah in chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. They themselves had insecurity. They they felt that they were insufficient, that they couldn't do what God had called them to do. And they needed to rely on God to do the ministry that he had called them to do. I myself can relate to that. I'm dyslexic. I grew up having major problems reading and and, and not only that, but reading in public. And I would stutter and I would shut down and, and feel embarrassed. And it's amazing through the power of the Holy Spirit, how he took those failures because it was in those times, my friends, where I did cry out to the Lord because I felt like a loser. So, so Paul's afraid, but God speaks to him. He says, for I have many people in the city. See, God already knew. He knew what was going to happen. He knew where he was sending Paul. He was moving him to Corinth. And even before Paul arrived, and even before Paul was looking for support, and even though Paul was anxiously waiting who he was going to be engaging with, even though he came with fear and trembling, God, God already was moving in people's hearts before that. And remember, Paul had many visions, by the way. This was common for him. So we see this vision that's rare, that Luke doesn't record a lot of visions that Paul had during, during his you know, um, writing of the book of Acts. But Paul tells us, you know, now obviously we have the famous one when he got converted in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. But then later on, Paul himself, of course, Luke will record it in chapter 22 and chapter 23, verse 11. He mentions this, the, different, the visions that he had. But then later, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, that he had a vision. And then, of course, later on, it wasn't a vision when he was, remember, uh, when I say later on, when he writes 2 Corinthians, but uh, because he's going to be writing 1 Corinthians, but this event had already happened when he was dragged out for dead at a Lystra, he was caught up into the third heaven. So there are many encounters that Jesus had with, with Paul throughout his ministry in a spiritual way, in the spiritual realm that is. Now it says here in verse 11, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now Paul would also uh, go into the region of Achaia and he would go there and he would teach, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Now I like what the NIV application commentary writes regarding this particular passage. The commentary writes, quote, while Paul was doing this work, his colleague Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia with great news of how the church there was thriving under persecution. They probably brought gifts from Macedonia for support of his work. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, and then as I mentioned earlier, Philippians 4, 15 through 16. The commentary continues to write, 
And as a result, he was able to devote himself exclusively to preaching. While this probably means that he gave up his tent making to go into full-time evangelism, the word translated devoted, meaning to begin to be engrossed, which may suggest that the rival of his colleagues with such good news acted as a shot in the arm to Paul and thus propelled him into more intense ministry. Robinson translates this word with the next phrase in the Greek, to logo, in reference to the word, as was constrained by the word, and adds the comment, the coming of Silas with gifts from Macedonia set Paul free from tent making for a while so that he began to devote himself with fresh concentration to preaching, end quote. So another thing that's so significant, he comes with fear and trembling. He's in a massive city. He doesn't know a lot of people and God starts bringing him people. And not only that, but the ministry that he was having in other areas, his colleagues like Silas and Timothy, they're coming back saying, people are giving. They believe in what God is doing in your life and they want to see more of it. And so now you can be devoting, Paul, more time in hiring people like us, not like it was like a 501c3, you know, kind of a thing, Paul the Apostle Ministries, but that they were able to uh, be taken care of. And I think that's very special. And we oftentimes overlook that. And these are just some, some examples of God protecting Paul along the way with his colleagues. So now let's jump to the third thing where the Jews attack Paul in verses 12 through 17. So right when you think it's like, oh man, things are going great and whack, you know, Paul gets hit with something else. It says here in verse 12, but when Galileo was pro-council of Achaia, that's Southern Greece, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. That's where we get actually judgment seat from. It's the Greek word bima. Verse 13 saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them. From the tribunal, and they all seized Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Okay, now what's cool that I want to mention real quickly is that there was actually an inscription, an inscription of Galileo that was discovered in Delphi, marking his proconsulship to be from about AD 51 to 52 AD. So the cool thing is. We have archaeological evidence supporting what Luke is actually writing here, roughly around the time, as I mentioned earlier, in about AD 51 to 52. Now, this united attack, the Jews were attempting, what they were doing is they were attempting strategically. There was this united front, and that's the language that Luke is putting here because he's giving us an understanding with the wording that they had a strategy in place to strip Christianity of its privileges within Judaism. Because remember, Christianity up to this point, and we're talking about the uproars, a lot of the Claudius had to kick out a lot of the Jews because of the uproars are having Christianity. And one of the reasons, because it was blasphemy, it was a pagan religion. Many of them thought they were cannibals because of the Lord's Supper. And as we're seeing right now, Christianity was considered to be a legitimate religion 
because it was receiving its functionality freely on the back of Judaism because Rome just saw these Jews worshiping and talking about Jesus who was a Jew and the Messiah, knowing that the eschatological position of Judaism was looking for the Messiah. So they figured that the way, you know, of Christ followers were just a form of Judaism. And so the Romans allowed an occupancy, if you will, Christianity to propagate. But the Jews were getting sick of this. And so when it says here in verse 14, when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. So Galileo, uh, Galileo, um, I don't know why I was saying Galileo. It's so funny because I'm saying it's Gal, uh, Galileo, not Galileo. Sorry about that. Uh, but Galileo, he, he's a secularist, not the scientist, right? He's a secularist and he's a brother of the philosopher Seneca. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Seneca. And I'll mention him in a minute because this is kind of ironic, kind of leading into uh, the time frame of this whole thing that we're discussing right now. But um, Galileo is a secularist. His brother is Seneca, who is a famous philosopher. And he's refusing to get involved in religious affairs between the Jews and this newfound faith of Christianity. In Galileo's mind, Christianity, again, is protected under the, the religio licita. And so according to him, the Christians, they're not breaking any Roman law. However, this view of Christianity will change going into the 60s. So within a 10-year frame, even in some cases sooner than this, because things are certainly getting out of hand. But when Nero comes on scene, if you know the history, mass persecution among Christians will break out. So what happens though is they get so upset that they they turn against Sothenes probably because they failed. Um, and so they beat him in front of Galileo. Now, maybe, and I've read some commentaries are thinking that maybe Sothenes turned to Christianity after the beating because he's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. So maybe that beating woke, woke him up and realized, well, my own people have turned against me. And look at these Christians and how kind and nice they are. And then, of course, if you're going to spend any time around Paul, he's going to reason with you in the scriptures, proving to you that Christ is the Messiah. So maybe at some point after the beating that Sothenes, unfortunately, endure, has to go through, uh, but he survives nonetheless. But Gal uh, Galileo is just like, I ah, forget it. But so here, here's the catch in all this too, which shows you, again, as the Jews turn against their own kind, uh, Galileo will later be killed by the emperor Nero himself. And guess who was the tutor of Nero? Sothenes, or excuse me, uh, Seneca. And I keep getting all these names messed up. But Seneca, he tutored Nero. And his pupil will eventually kill his brother. So it just shows you how messed up all of this stuff is. So now let's jump to the fourth section here where Paul strengthens the churches in chapter 18 here, verses 18 through 23. It says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Sincrea, northern Asian port of Corinth. He had cut his hair for he was under a vow 
and they came to Ephesus, leading, which is the leading city of the province of Asia Minor. And he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. There you go. Once again, that's what Paul does. So he's reasoning with the Jews. And it says, and when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. All right. So here we see that Paul was accompanied by many companions now. He's got Priscilla. He's got Aquila. He's got Sothenes, who was beaten, who's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. He's got Crispus, who's mentioned, like I told you, in two other passages of scriptures. He's got Stephanus. He's got Gaius. And, and, he, and during this time, he takes a Nazarite vow. Uh, and he does this probably to seek God and to show the Jews that he was still committed to the scriptures. So this was his way of saying, hey, I'm still one of you guys, but I'm converted because Christ is the Messiah. Now, the Nazarite vow, vow you can see in reference to Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Now, in the Mishnah, it says that a Jew had to cut his hair prior to offering a sacrifice in the temple. So this makes sense because Paul was on his way, remember, verse 22, where? To Jerusalem. So Luke here is probably pointing out that Paul's Jewishness was, was is evident because he's demonstrating that Christianity was not a new religion. It's the fulfillment of Judaism. I mean, my friends, if, 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 if we can sit on that and, and explore that, but I refer to people like Dr. Michael Brown. I refer to people like um, uh, Dr. Edersherman. Um, I refer to um, Fruchtenbaum. There's some great Messianic Jew writers who, who remind us that Christianity was not a new religion but the fulfillment of Judaism. So Paul is living out his Jewishness. Remember he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22, he says, are they, he asks the question, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. So we can't neglect the Jewishness of Paul. And then it says here in verse 19, and they came to Ephesus. This was the leading, leading city, as I mentioned, of Asia Minor. And he's there reasoning with the Jews. So previously, Paul, remember, he attempted to go to Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit pre pre prevented him for whatever reason, going back to chapter 16, verse 6. But now he's able to come. And upon his arrival, what's he eager to do? As always, he's eager to jump into the synagogues because that was a good pulse. Those were his people. Even though they rejected Jesus, he wanted to be among his people and he wanted them to know the truth. And so in time, Aquila and Priscilla, what will happen, they will establish a house church. We're told this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, before returning to Rome, according to Romans chapter 16, Verses three through five. Now, Luke offers no explanation as to why Silas and Timothy are not mentioned. May, they may be mentioned among this list. They may not. They may have left to go somewhere else to get more funds or support or whatever. We don't know. 
Now, although Paul would have liked to have remained in Ephesus ministering to the Jews, he felt it was more important for him to to accomplish this vow, to fulfill this vow and to travel to Jerusalem. And I like this phrase because he says, I will return to you if God wills. And that's kind of the phrase where we get, you know, if God wills, Lord willing, right? You hear people say oftentimes, I I tend to say that as well, because we don't know the ultimate outcome. So God's will be done. God would eventually, however, send Paul back to Ephesus to perform some of his greatest work. And we're going to see that in later episodes. Now, the New King James Version Chronological Study Bible writes this, quote, Ephesus was a chief city of the west coast of Asia Minor, situated at the mouth of of Castor uh, River. Paul visited the city on the return part of his second missionary journey staying only briefly in Acts chapter 18, verses 19 through 21. He returned on his third journey to spend more than two years strengthening the church, according to Acts chapter 19. So we'll see that in the next episode. The letter to the Ephesians was also intended to strengthen them, making them more conscious of the oneness in Christ, end quote. So you see this growth that's taking place that Paul's having in the ministry Now, after two and a half years, so 80, 50 to 52, and traveling 2,000 miles, Paul will wrap up his second missionary journey. Now, this phrase that Luke puts here, he went up in verse 22, this phrase is in reference to Jerusalem because of its elevation. It was 65 miles southeast from Jerusalem uh, to Jerusalem from Caesarea. So there was an, you know, not too significant, but 2,000 miles, and for him to get there, he had to go 65 miles. So that was a couple days' journey, depending on what kind of transportation they had. But afterwards, Paul, he will head back to his sending church, and he'll go back to Antioch. And we'll see that, you know, or you saw that from chapter 15 all the way here to chapter 18. So he'll head back to Antioch, his sending church. And then we're told here that he goes throughout strengthening the churches. And so Paul's visit to Ephesus I believe is a it's it's when you look at it, it's like a prelude or it's a commencement to his third missionary journey, which is going to be kicking off in chapter 18 from verses 23 all the way to chapter 21, verse 17. And he will spend over three years in Ephesus to reach the providence of Asia in chapter 19. We'll say we'll see in verse 10 and Acts chapter 20, verse 31. But Luke mentions at this point, and again, he just he abbreviates it. It's a condensed version of Paul going throughout Galatia and Phrygia, and he's traveling back to the southern part of Galatia. And if you remember, if you go back to chapters 13 and 14, Paul in his second missionary journey is going back to the places he impacted in his first missionary journey. Now, obviously this, this could have been an, you know, volume, if you will, if Luke was able to describe all the, the ins and outs of Paul's travel and his messages and his ministry. But this right here is roughly, I have here it on my notes, 1,500 miles. But we don't, it's just a little condensed version, but we're just told he's strengthening the disciples in Derby and Derb and Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, and Ephesus. And that's another thing, again, as I was saying earlier, to summarize Paul's ministry was reasoning with the Jews and, and God-fearing Gentiles, preaching the gospel. But man, you can't neglect that Paul was all about strengthening people who came to Christ. So Paul was both hand. He was evangelistic. He was apologetic, but he, he and, and he was pastoral in his ministry. 
So now let's look at the last section here uh, in verses 24 through 28. And this is Apollos challenges the Jews. So now a Jew named Apollos or Apollonius, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus and he was an eloquent man, competent, mighty in the scriptures. And he had been instructed, that means catechized or formally trained in the way of the Lord. And being fervent, that means boiling in spirit. Interesting phrase there, right? He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So in, in Acts 18, 24 through 28, Luke puts an interlude to, before jumping you know, into his third missionary journey, to introduce a new convert. And that is Apollos here, or Apollonius who's arriving in Ephesus. And this guy knew only the baptism of John. And this is a way, it's a phrase that Luke would often reference. Uh, Later we'll see that some of the disciples, they only had heard the teachings of John. It's a way of measuring prior to Christ's coming. They didn't know anything beyond uh, just what John the Baptist was preaching, which was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they're waiting for the kingdom of heaven um, and they missed the Messiah. And so they're teaching them that the Messiah has come and John prepared that way. Now, according to Luke, Apollos, a Hellenistic Jew, he was a firm believer in Christ as Messiah, yet unfamiliar with the resurrection and Pentecost. Again, so he didn't have that information. So you would, we would say at this point in time, Apollos' knowledge was limited in scope based on, again, Isaiah 43 through 5 and Luke 3, 4 through 6, he had a limit uh, to what um, John the Baptist preached. And of course, he had no under, no knowledge, okay, of Christ. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they instruct Apollos. They teach him these things. They, they fill in the gaps, if you will, of Christ and his teachings, maybe talking about the Sermon on the Mount and other things and his death and how he atoned for the sins of mankind. And he rose again on the third day. And then he went to the Mount Olives and he took a group of his disciples and followers and he ascended in heaven. And he gave us a, a, a command, the great commission to go and make disciples. And so you're one of them. We're going to make a disciple out of you. And when you, when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you're indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit, he talk about coming upon you. And so we clearly see now here in verses 27 through 28 that the Holy Spirit does certainly take a hold of Apollos in a mighty way in Corinth. And he, it, just, it just goes. And, and that's just the amazing thing, you guys, is that when we attest to what God is doing and we let God do his thing, and we don't try to undermine it. And then when God is using other people and we support them, we pray for them, we champion them, we don't divide over things, God does great work. So hopefully, as we went through chapter 18, you saw how God protects people. He protects people when he sends us out there. And yes, we live in a fallen world, so there will be 
uh, instances and again because we have no control but that doesn't mean that god's protection abandoned you again that's a, that's in the context of you serving the lord and doing a great work for god so my friend whatever you're doing whatever god has called you to do do it wholeheartedly before him work hard like paul did be devoted reason with people engage with people and don't give up and when you are afraid be reminded of the message that Paul received. And maybe perhaps God will send you a message through a vision like he did here with Paul in Acts 18. And, and to tell you in that vision, or as you're praying, or someone like me is telling you, hey, stop being afraid. Trust the Lord. He's got this. He's got many people in this area. If you have a vision or a desire like we do here in our ministry to expand this ministry, I believe that God will bring the underwriters. I believe God will bring the investors, the donors, the supporters, the prayer warriors, because there are people who desperately need to hear the gospel. And there are Christians like you who want to learn God's word and need resources like this to go through the Bible. We're not trying to be flashy here, not trying to create smoke and mirrors. Just open the Bible and let God's word speak in that we walk away like right now as we end this podcast and say, I want to be like Paul. And I know that fear is going to conquer me, but Christ conquered sin, death, and fear. And he has called me to be an overcomer. And so cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. So thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. If you like these episodes, hey, why don't you share it? Let people know about us, hear about the podcast, Stand Strong in the Word. Support us by praying. And if you want to give a donation, you can go to standstrongministries.org, click on the donate button, and you can give whatever God has led you to give because we need your guys' prayers and we need your guys' support. So thank you guys for watching. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.